The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I'm Rick Edelman with a very personal message for you on today's broadcast. I want to take you a little bit of a trip down memory lane as I set this up for you. As a young couple uh, in our 20s, my wife Jean and I sought help from a financial advisor. Uh, We had desires to buy a home, and he told us to lie on our mortgage application, essentially to commit a felony. That incident was 36 years ago, and that's what spurred us to establish our own financial planning firm. We wanted to protect others from the kinds of experiences we'd had. And from the beginning, Gene and I focused on financial education. Back in the 1980s, there were really very few resources, just Money Magazine and Louis Rukeyser's Wall Street Week on PBS. Few people had ever heard of financial planning. Money was still considered a taboo topic. Hardly any parents talked to their kids about money. The subject wasn't taught in schools. Employers weren't very helpful. And as a result, we had a country of financially illiterate adults. My first radio interview, the host's first question was, what's a mutual fund? That was the state of the issue at the time. When your only source of information about real estate, credit, investments, mortgages, and insurance are the companies, brokers, and agents who are trying to sell that stuff to you, well, Houston, we have a problem. And so Gene and I decided to teach ourselves about personal finance and then show others what we learned and help them put that knowledge into action in a manner serving their best interests. We wanted to provide a safe haven for consumers, a place of protection against the misleading and manipulative sales practices that are all too common in the financial services industry. Consumers loved our message and our way of conveying it. They still do. Edelman Financial Engines is now the largest, and I'd say the most prestigious, independent RAA firm in the nation. We're managing $270 billion for 1.3 million individuals and families throughout the country. And of the top five independent RIAs, Edelman Financial Engines is bigger than the other four combined. In fact, we're not just the biggest, we're also the best, ranked number one for quality by both Barron's and Consumer Reports. Building a great company is stressful at times, and our success is entirely dependent on our planners and our staff. And so we made sure they had a lot of fun, too. We created the no-tie zone, stress-down days, the challenge of the dog and cat, glop days, Halloween parties, crazy sock day and mad hatter day, season tickets behind home plate at MLB games, front row seats to every concert at the Wolf Trap Performing Arts Center, half-day Fridays from Memorial Day through Labor Day, Birthdays off, lots of excursions, often with family, sporting events, cornfield mazes and whatnot, over-the-top holiday parties, and for all staff, up to four weeks vacation, four-week paid sabbaticals every six years, and a Rolex to commemorate their 10th anniversary with the firm. And of course, every staffer, plus their families, celebrated our 10th and our 25th anniversaries with trips to Disney World. 
Small wonder we were named many times by multiple publications as one of the best places to work. By showing as much care and concern for our employees as we do our clients, will it let us recruit and retain the very best? And happy employees make sure that clients are happy too. And happy clients, happy staff, they tend never to leave. Everybody wins. Or as my wife Jean likes to say, happy, happy, happy. Along the way, people say I've become the most highly acclaimed financial advisor in the country. I've received more accolades, I think, than any other financial advisor in history. I was named the number one advisor three times by Barron's. I've received dozens of awards for this radio show and my TV shows, too. My 10 books, monthly newsletter, thousands of seminars and webinars, lots of audios and videos, and multiple citations as one of the industry's most prominent thought leaders. And now WealthManagement.com has just announced the finalists for their 2021 awards, 900-plus nominations, and I'm a finalist for the Thought Leader of the Year. Safe to say my leadership has helped advance the entire financial planning profession. Mortgages were just unheard of in the financial planning community. They were strongly opposed until I started touting my 11 great reasons to carry a big, long mortgage back in 1990. That strategy is now the default at virtually every financial planning firm in the country. In 2005, we began using ETFs, and we introduced our daily strategic rebalancing review. Neither of those were common then, but today, 90% of advisors do the same. I invented the first Exponential Technologies ETF in 2015. It's now used by thousands of financial advisors, and there are dozens of similar funds that have been launched by State Street, Global X, ARC, and others. My focus on longevity has altered the retirement planning projections that advisors nationwide provide their clients. And my proposal on retirement savings for babies, called RISE, is getting attention by federal policymakers. And finally, I think I was perhaps the first financial advisor to talk about Bitcoin, starting in 2014. And as we look at the state of personal finance today, so much is different. When I started out, there were few books on money, none of them any good in my opinion. That's why I started writing my own. Today, though, there are thousands of books on the subject. Hundreds are published annually. I used to be the only advisor presenting seminars, but live and virtual events are now everywhere, even on TikTok. Rukeyser's offbeat TV show? Well, now there are entire networks providing 24-7 coverage. And some of the biggest TV hits are themed around money. Jim Cramer, Shark Tank, The Prophet, Buying Yachts, Marriage or Mortgage. And radio shows, my goodness, mine was a rarity at first to focus on personal finance, but now there are hundreds of financial shows on radio stations all across the country. And parents now routinely open college savings accounts as soon as their babies are born. Money's no longer a taboo topic at the dinner table. Large employers now not only just offer 401ks, but complete financial wellness programs. And our firm is the largest provider of those services to the Fortune 500. And schools? Half the states now require that high school students take a personal finance class, and legislation is pending in the other 25 states. And while only 9% of teachers in 1990 said they were competent to teach personal finance, 70% of teachers now say they can do it. And there's also now Operation Hope just announced, a national initiative to support financial literacy, getting it into American culture. It's led by Walmart, Disney, Bank of America, Walgreens, Delta, the NFL, and the NBA. I wouldn't dare suggest mission accomplished. 100 million Americans of credit card debt, 43 million of student loan debt, 40% of U.S. households don't have the cash to pay a $400 unexpected bill. But the trend is in the right direction. And the trend line is good for Edelman Financial Engines, too. 
We helped our clients get through the pandemic just as we've helped them through every crisis that our nation has experienced ever since the crash of 87. The firm added 40,000 clients last year. Our assets under management increased by $31 billion. And the firm just added a new private equity partner. We now have three. We refinanced our debt, just like we're telling our clients to do, thanks to today's low rates. And with 1,500 employees nationwide serving 1.3 million clients, our talented and dedicated planners and staff are managed by the firm's experienced and capable team. And so, Gene and I have decided that the time is right for us to start our next chapter. I'm ending my employment with the firm, and this fall, we'll air the final episode of this radio show. The firm has asked me to stay on the board of directors, which I'll do. And as Gene and I look to the future, we see that there's a lot to keep us busy. Advances in exponential technologies are exciting, but also disruptive, and Americans need help adapting, both to the new investment opportunities and the job threats that are posed by these innovations. And our population is aging while the workforce is shrinking, and that's putting pressure on Social Security. And Alzheimer's disease remains the number one healthcare threat. And so, Gene and I are going to stay in the fight against Alzheimer's. We'll talk more about that next on the show. And we're also going to continue our efforts to improve our nation's retirement readiness through Funding Our Future, the coalition I founded three years ago that now has more than 50 corporate, academic, and nonprofit partners. That work includes seeking national adoption of RISE, my proposal to end income inequality in retirement for future generations. I also plan to continue my advisory board roles with the Milken Institute on Aging, and the Stanford Center on Longevity. And Gene will continue helping people achieve well-being through nutrition, health, and relationships. I'll continue leading the RIA Digital Assets Council that I founded three years ago to educate financial professionals about blockchain and digital assets. And we're also excited to complete construction of the new Museum and Visitor Center at Rowan University's Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park. And we'll maintain our involvement with a variety of fintech ventures, as well as other philanthropic activities via our own family office. With our Edelman gig over, we're also both open to new and different opportunities that have yet to emerge. Gene and I are grateful beyond words for the support we've received throughout the past 36 years. We were blessed to have wonderful colleagues and staff throughout our journey. And when we return on the show, I'm going to mention some of those names for you because they're certainly worthy of the recognition. And I'm going to tell you about my future, which is going to be filled with Alzheimer's research, focus on longevity, trying to resolve America's retirement inequity and retirement readiness problems. So we've got a lot more to share with you as we begin the first of the last episodes of The Rick Edelman Show. Stay with us for more. You're listening to The Truth About Money. By Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I've just announced that this fall will be the end of The Rick Edelman Show after nearly 30 years on the air. 
Just this week, Talkers Magazine named me one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country, the Heavy 100. It's the fifth time I've been on the list, and at number 65, this year is my best ranking ever. It's been a wonderful experience, and it's nice to go out on top. And over these past years, Gene and I are so grateful beyond words for the support we've received in the development and growth of our company, Edelman Financial Engines. We were blessed to have wonderful colleagues and staff throughout our journey, including Ed Moore, Renee Chase, Leslie Roberts, Christine Cataldo, Joe Batazzi, Will Casserly, Lisa Kornack, Denise Kelly, Sue Harp, Don Conti, Carol Roberts, Carol Doyle, Denise Newhart, Kathy Ellis, Catherine Smith, Mary Lawrence, Jeff Douglas, Jim Baker, Susie Fenton, Rosa Zedeker, my entire fit team, Pam Becker, Mitch York, Christy Nader, and many others. Dozens are still with the firm, too many to name, including just about all the financial advisors that I've hired over the years. And to our many partners in the media, I'm so grateful, including most significantly Rick Fowler, my radio show's producer of this entire era, as well as Gail Ross, my book agent. I want to particularly thank all the radio stations, the program directors, and the staff at all of our affiliates across the country, my book publishers, my TV producers, especially Russ Hodge, and the great many editors, reporters, columnists, and writers I've worked with everywhere. I thank them all for their ceaseless efforts to raise the level of awareness about personal finance for American consumers. I want to highlight Bill Erbach, John Wagner, Mike Tegler, Janice Ockershausen, Jim Gallant, Tom Bresnahan, Chris Berry, Chris Kaur, Bill Trumbull, John Matthews, Dave Kimber, Lillian Brown, Pat Lawson-Muse, Sally Heldrick, Cliff Webb, George Ball, Paul Wyrick, Oprah Winfrey, Diana Cantor, Gary Perlin, R.J. Shook, Chip Rome, Sterling Shea, Matt Bartell, John Begany, Ray Kurzweil, and Ken Dykewald, my parents, and of course my wife and soulmate Jean, without whom none of this would have been possible. So the nonprofit community focused on financial literacy and retirement security and the many organizations of which I've been a member and participant, I thank you all for your ongoing efforts to improve financial security and the standard of living for all U.S. households while eliminating economic inequality in America. And to my friends and colleagues throughout the financial services industry, thank you for embracing me and my ideas, many of which were initially deemed radical or controversial. Your dedication to move the profession forward has impacted every client and every financial advisor in the country. And to my fellow financial planners within the firm, who I've been spending a lot of time talking with this past week, keep doing what you're doing. Your commitment to your clients is what makes you special, and you're improving the lives of a great many people who are forever grateful for your sage advice, your care, and your support. It's been my honor to know you and work alongside you all these years. And to the staff at Edelman Financial Engines, thank you for your consistently high level of service and aid you provide to the firm's planners. Without you, they're unable to give each client the help they need. You're what makes the firm so special, and every planner in the firm knows it. And to you, my listening audience, the millions of people worldwide who have listened to these broadcasts, watched my TV programs, read my books, attended my educational events over these past 36 years, Gene and I are profoundly grateful and honored that you found value in the information and education we've provided. We both thank you so very much. And of course, most importantly, my gratitude to our clients at Edelman Financial Engines. Gene and I express our deepest and most heartfelt gratitude. It's been an honor and privilege to serve all of them. Their faith in us has meant everything. 
And Gene and I wish all great health, prosperity, and happiness. Their support is what built our firm, and we are highly confident that the firm and the planners will continue to work hard to maintain their trust. This is a little unsettling, of course, for Gene and me to step away from the firm that's been our life's work. We've got a long record of innovation and impact, and we will now shift that focus and passion that we've been devoting to Edelman Financial Engines for the past 36 years to our new ventures with Gusto. So although we're saying goodbye to our career at Edelman Financial Engines, we're saying hello to all of our new ventures. This is not the end of anything. It's just the end of a chapter. It's the closing of one page and the turning toward another. And increasingly, this is something that we're all beginning to recognize is our future. You know, back in the day, I think back to my grandparents, when they retired in their early 60s, it was because they were going to be dead only a few years later, right? That's the way it was. Retirement at 62 and dead by 65. That's not our circumstances. Today, people who leave their careers in their 60s have 30 or 40 years ahead of them. I just turned last week 63. I'm barely in middle age because of innovations and longevity due to medical science. I'm fully expecting, as are many who research this field, that life expectancy will be 100, 110, 120. At age 63, I'm barely halfway there. And so this is going to be a very exciting next chapter. And part of the work that Gene and I are going to be doing are helping others turn to their next chapters as they leave behind their careers of their businesses and professions. And one of the big challenges that we face is Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's disease remains the number one healthcare crisis in the world. One in 10 Americans at the age of 60 develop symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. By the age of 85, it's one in three. By the age of 90, it's one in two. This is a big deal, and none other than President Biden says so. Here's what he said in a speech in Cleveland on May 27th. You know, if we don't do something about Alzheimer's in America... Every single solitary hospital bed that exists in America, as the nurses can tell you, every single one will be occupied in the next 15 years with an Alzheimer's patient. Every one, costing us in excess of a trillion dollars. That's a scary prognosis, and my fear is that it's not totally inaccurate. This is why, in addition to being a public health crisis, it's also a public wealth crisis and why we have no choice but to confront these issues with a great deal of seriousness as we struggle to overcome the challenges of this disease. Alzheimer's disease currently, despite decades of research and tens of billions of dollars of effort, there is today no diagnostic tool. There is no treatment. There is no cure. There is no vaccine. Alzheimer's disease is 100% fatal. And from onset of symptoms to death is an average of 12 years. And it represents one of the most expensive diseases to combat because patients who suffer this illness and related ones of dementia are generally ambulatory. It's merely their brains that are afflicted. Their bodies typically are okay. And as a result, they can turn on a stove. They can drive a car. They can pick up a firearm. And as a result of that, 
Alzheimer's patients require 24-7 care at an annual cost exceeding $100,000. Family members often give up their jobs and careers to provide care for their elders, spouses caring for each other. And it is a huge economic toll in addition to, of course, the human and emotional toll. And just this week, the FDA has made its decision to approve Adelhelm, the first new Alzheimer's treatment in 18 years. And that's why there's so much excitement about this new drug from Biogen. It's the first to attack the process, the first new treatment in 18 years. But the FDA's Independent Advisory Committee says there's not enough evidence that it works. And it's going to cost $56,000 a year. That's almost $5,000 a month, in addition to tens of thousands of dollars for diagnostic testing and brain imaging. Medicare hasn't yet said how it's going to pay for the drug and the associated costs, but this is going to be a huge expense to the American taxpayer because most are going to be buying this drug via Medicaid, meaning the government's going to foot the bill, not individuals. Already 6 million people in the U.S. suffer from Alzheimer's, 30 million globally. Those numbers expected to double by 2050, which is why President Biden said what he said. And this is why it is such an extraordinarily difficult subject. And that's why I'm very happy to tell you that next, I'm going to be bringing onto the program Dr. Howard Fillett, MD, the founding executive director and chief science officer of the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. He's going to tell us more about this new drug and what it means for you and me. So stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. The number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I just finished telling you that Alzheimer's remains the number one healthcare crisis in the world. Six million people in the U.S. already afflicted by Alzheimer's, 30 million globally. Those numbers are expected to double over the next couple of decades. This decade alone, half of all baby boomers are expected to develop cognitive impairment. And we have the news now of FDA's approval of the first new Alzheimer's treatment in 18 years. Biogen's stock jumped 38% on the news. It is very exciting. Analysts are projecting that the company's sales of the drug are going to hit $1.6 billion in 2023. And so I'm very happy to welcome to the program Dr. Howard Fillett, MD. He's the founding executive director and chief science officer of the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. Howard is a geriatrician and a neuroscientist. He's held faculty positions at Rockefeller University, the SUNY Stony Brook School of Medicine, and the Cornell University School of Medicine. Since 1987, he's been clinical professor of geriatric medicine and palliative care, medicine and neuroscience at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. He's written more than 300 publications, and he's the senior editor of the Brocklehurst textbook on geriatric medicine and gerontology. Dr. Phillip, it's wonderful to have you with us on the program. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Rick. I I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. So this is big news. And in fact, you know, as I mentioned, it's the first new Alzheimer's treatment in 18 years. The Wall Street Journal ran an editorial this week 
The headline of the editorial was called An Alzheimer's Breakthrough. Is it? Well, it is a breakthrough um, for, for a number of reasons. It's a breakthrough because um, we finally entered what I would call the modern era of running clinical trials for Alzheimer's disease. This was a very rigorous trial uh, using biomarkers, particularly a PET amyloid scan that could actually identify the pathology of Alzheimer's disease in living human beings and make sure that the only people that entered the trial were actually people that had Alzheimer's disease. And that same scan was used to monitor whether the drug was effective. And in fact, the drug was quite effective in removing the typical senile plaques that occur in patients with Alzheimer's disease that are thought to uh, contribute to the cognitive decline that occurs in the disease. There was some correlation uh, between the removal of plaques and cognitive dysfunction, and obviously it was a good enough correlation uh, that the FDA chose to give it a conditional approval. They didn't reject it. There was some controversy around the two phase three clinical trials that were done. One was positive, one was negative. Um, and so they didn't give it a, a unrestricted approval. They gave it a conditional approval requiring that the company do another phase three clinical trial to demonstrate the efficacy and further look at the safety of the drug. And I think this was a good compromise in the context of the uncertainty that did exist. It enables patient access. Patients can get access to this drug. It's obviously a terrible, uniformly fatal disease uh, while the research goes on. So why has it taken so long for a new drug to get approved in this area? Well, you know, in many ways it actually happens. I like to say that cancer research started in 1902 with the establishment of the Imperial Cancer Trust in London. The National Institute on Aging wasn't established until 1975. Senility was thought to be a normal part of aging until the 1970s. So we didn't really get on board with any kind of research until the 1980s. Uh, This beta amyloid protein that is the focus of the uh, biogen drug wasn't discovered until 1984. So we're about 30-something years beyond the initial discovery. And generally in drug development, from the time of a basic research finding on drug actually comes to market, is about 30 years. It's a long, very difficult process with a lot of failure along the way. So this first sort of uh, success in having a drug that actually modifies the course of the disease is very exciting news. And in many ways, I think we're actually quite right on time. I've been doing this over 40 years, taking care of people and doing the research and funding the research through the foundation. And I've seen us go from a time when we knew nothing about this disease back in 1980 to a time when we really, I believe, know as much about how Alzheimer's disease happens as other chronic diseases of aging like cancer and heart disease. Are there, therefore, other approvals of other drugs coming in the near future? Yeah, it's a really exciting time. Our foundation has over 35 clinical trials in process right now, and all of them are not amyloid approaches. We're basically taking the scientific strategy of translating what we know about the biology of aging into new drugs for Alzheimer's disease. We're talking about things like inflammation of the brain, which is a hallmark of aging and occurs in Alzheimer's disease and contributes to the progression of the illness. We're talking about many other strategies, vascular genetics, neuroprotection, and so on. So there's a lot of exciting work going on, over 120 drugs in clinical 
clinical trials, and most of them, majority of them, are not amyloid approaches. So what we're going to see is with the development of new biomarkers like this PET scan that ADDF actually helped to develop that enabled the Biogen study to show that there, there was this critical biomarker to show that the drug actually worked in living patients. But there's many other biomarkers being developed now. Uh, we're working with Gates Ventures on a diagnostics accelerator to develop these other biomarkers. And so there's just a lot of excitement in terms of our ability to do these clinical trials now. And I think um, clinical trials for Alzheimer's disease are really just coming of age now. So uh, we're going to see a lot of breakthroughs. And ultimately, it's going to be like cancer. We're going to have many biomarkers subtyping people with Alzheimer's according to their blood tests probably and brain scans. And then uh, combination therapies. It won't just be one drug. It'll be like in cancer. People will be on four or five tailored drugs for their particular kind of Alzheimer's disease. So who is this drug ideal for? Is it for someone who might one day get it? Is it for someone who currently has Alzheimer's? And if so, at what stage? Who who should be paying attention to this news and making appointments for their physicians? Well, the clinical trials were demonstrating people with kind of early mild Alzheimer's disease in terms of um, what we call mild cognitive impairment and mild dementia. And I think those would be the people most likely to benefit. Um, The drug is an IV infusion on a monthly basis with some burden in terms of requiring neuroimaging and follow-up, and there are side effects. And I think those people that um, were the kind of people that participated in the clinical trial where there looks like there's benefit uh, would be the people most likely to benefit from the drug. The FDA label doesn't restrict the companies to um, only those people and people with moderate to severe dementia, for example, might be able to get access to the drug. We don't know how the payers are going to react to this and what kind of uh, restrictions they're going to put around the drug, for example, a requirement for a brain scan and whether moderate to severe patients can get the drug. But the other thing that you mentioned that I think is exciting is prevention because with these brain scans, we know now and with blood tests that are actually available on the market, um, we know now that um, the disease starts 20, 30 years before people develop symptoms. So it kind of starts in, in your 50s or maybe your late 40s, and then people develop observable symptoms when they're 75. But So there are prevention trials going on now, including prevention trials using monoclonal antibodies like the Biogen antibody to see if we can identify people in the community who are asymptomatic, who have positive brain scans, they're cooking the disease, and then treating those people to see if we can prevent any kind of cognitive impairment going forward. So prevention is is actually doable now with lifestyle interventions similar to heart disease. We know that from studies managing diabetes and hypertension and not smoking and not drinking too much alcohol and exercising and all those. And we're going to add on medications that will also be like heart disease prevention, lifestyle plus statins, except it won't be statins. These will be very Alzheimer's-specific type medications. So as you mentioned and alluded to, prevention is possible today. And now going forward with new drugs, it'll be even more possible. It's interesting that you, you mentioned the issue of availability. I mean, if we've got 6 million people with Alzheimer's today and it costs $56,000 a year per person, we're talking about an economic challenge that could be insurmountable. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, that that's a really important point, and I think that's where – you know, the FDA doesn't consider economics in their decision-making. They're purely, you know, pretty much a science organization that has to approve drugs based on efficacy and safety. But the Medicare will have to consider payment to Medicare Advantage plans, the fee service plans, the commercial insurers that might be involved, 
All the payers are going to have to create guidelines about how this drug is used, whether people will need brain scans, which currently cost $5,000, $8,000 a pop to, to do, and then follow on brain scans to make sure that the side effects of the drug on the brain aren't developing um, using MRI brain imaging. So there's significant costs in, in utilizing the drug and creating boundaries about who actually is eligible and who gets paid to take the drug. Um, you know, there's an organization called ICER that actually does these kind of economic analyses across the board, and they estimate that the what's called the cost-effective price for um, for the drug is not fifty-four thousand dollars a year, but something closer to either twenty-five hundred to eighty-five hundred dollars a year annually. So there's a big discrepancy between what the economic analyses on the value of the drug are um, by independent agencies and the pricing that um, that Biogen is proposing. And I think ultimately, as you uh, said, this is really not so much the pricing, but the budget impact. And the way the pricing is right now at $54,000 a year, the budget impact will be really un- unsustainable. And uh, I think there's, there's going to have to be some sort of compromise on the pricing to make this drug uh, you know, possible to be utilized, or else the restrictions around its use are going to be very severe which means the very people who need it won't be able to get it. So we're going to have to see how all this shakes out. But this is exciting news, and I'm really glad you were able to share that with us. Uh, That's Dr. Howard Fillett, the Executive Director and Chief Science Officer of the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. Thanks, Dr. Fillett, for being with us on the program. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. I really appreciate it. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. information on what you need to do now go to rickedelman.com that's rickedelman.com Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. We just completed our conversation with Dr. Henry Fillett of the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation and the exciting news of the new blockbuster drug that is the first new drug in 18 years to combat the symptoms of Alzheimer's. The problem is this drug, as Dr. Fillett mentioned, is a very expensive drug, $56,000 a year, plus tens of thousands for diagnostic testing and brain imaging. Since the majority of Alzheimer's patients are on Medicare or Medicaid, this becomes a government funding issue. There are 6 million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's today. If every single one of them were to take this drug, this would cost the federal government half a trillion dollars annually. I'll be talking about this a lot over the next several months on this program, and it's going to be a big focus for Gene and me long after we stop doing The Rick Edelman Show later this fall. I've had a lot of folks reach out to us this week, excited about our news and sharing their thoughts. I want to provide three of them for you right here. Dr. Ali Hushman, the president of Rowan University, where Gene and I are very heavily involved as alumni. Gene is on the board of trustees. We both are graduates of the uh, university and heavily involved in their activities. And we were very gratified to receive this message from Ali. I've been in higher education in one form or another for the past 45 years, 
And so it's fair to say that I have come across many, many individuals who are accomplished or so-called smart people who have terminal degrees, uh, whether they're doctors, engineers, scientists, and others. So I have seen and met many, many smart people. And I can honestly tell you that Rick Ederman is amongst the most smart people that I've ever met. The man sees the world and the issues that he deals with in N-dimensional space. He has abilities that is beyond average person. He can see the future better. He can predict better because he can think N-dimensionally. And by that I mean, you know, typical individual uh, basically sees the world in three dimensions. Rick has the ability to see it in significantly higher number of dimensions. So I really have tremendous amount of admiration and respect for his intelligence and wish him all the best. Thanks. We also had the pleasure of hearing from Cal Thomas, the nationally syndicated columnist, a longtime friend of ours, who wrote an early forward to my very first book. What can I say about Rick and Gene Edelman that you don't already know? You've heard his radio show that caused me to get in touch with him. You've read his books. Perhaps you've seen him on TV. I've had the privilege of knowing Rick and Gene for three decades. They are the real deal. While they run a fairly large firm, they always have time for their clients, who they treat as individuals and, in many cases, friends. Their charitable work is only partially known because they don't brag about it. A man observed of Calvin Coolidge, That young chap Coolidge certainly has more stuff on the shelves and puts less in the show window than any fellow I've seen. Thankfully, they're not fully retiring, and the firm they built will continue serving the operative word is serving, people with their financial needs. At a time when there's not much good news, that is good news. Wishing you every good thing, my friends, you've earned and deserve it. I'm Cal Thomas. We're also very excited to uh, have a nice tribute from Ed Connerkey, a mortgage broker from Chicagoland who we've been doing business with for 15 or more years. Here's what Ed had to say. Hi, Rick. It's Ed Connerkey, Mortgage Advisor with Cherry Creek Mortgage. I want to congratulate you, but more importantly, thank you in helping me understand that a mortgage is not an enemy, it's not a necessary evil, and that we should view it instead as a powerful financial tool. And now I teach your mortgage philosophy to everyone I can. Best of luck to you and Gene and all your future endeavors. Thank you, my friend. And time now for everybody's favorite segment, and this week, a very poignant segment from my wife, Jean Edelman, founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, along with me as we announce the news of our departure from the company and the winding down over the next several months of The Rick Edelman Show. Great to be here. Always an honor and a privilege to share each week with you. So our news, our company has been our baby and we love it like a parent would love its child. Hmm. Can a parent and child ever truly be separated? I think not. I think we have the same DNA. The parent and child will always be connected. We have given the child the love and support it has needed to become the best human being that they can be. We have instilled a moral compass We have instilled compassion, empathy, and kindness. We have taught our children to speak their truth and to stand up for what is right. We have provided an environment 
of holding each member of the family accountable. We have ingrained in our children that the client comes first. And we have nurtured a work environment that builds each other up and supports. We are humbled and honored for those that have chosen to join our crusade and mission. It has always been our daily prayer to right the wrong that we experienced as young newlyweds in our 20s. We have created a foundation of education because when you educate, you empower. And when you empower, you can accomplish anything. We have over 36 years provided families roadmaps for financial success. The foundation that we have instilled in our planners and our staff will be our legacy that will live on. My word today is DNA. The D is do no harm. The N is never, ever forget our why. Each of us has a very powerful why. Our mission, our crusade for Rick and I has always been very clear. And when we all figure out our why, we stay true to ourselves and we never falter. And the A is for always take care of our clients and always look out for others. We will never be far from our family. We've grown up together these 36 years, and the party is not over yet. Thank you to our clients for trusting us, for listening, for being open to new concepts and ideas. And to our listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You fill our hearts each week. We are so grateful letting us come into your homes, your cars, your podcasts every week. And we so appreciate hearing from you. Your feedback is so vital for us. So thank you. It's been a true honor and privilege to be with you every week. And thank you to our planners and staff, because we pass this very important torch on to you to carry on our mission and crusade. Let us never become the typical corporate America. Let us always have a heart and a soul. Let us always, always care for each other and care for and be there for the greater good of humanity and all human beings. I hope you all have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Gene. That's Gene Edelman here on The Truth About Money, Triple Eight Plan Rick. Thanks for joining us on the program today. There's a lot more to The Rick Edelman Show this week. Our full podcast online has many additional stories, including my interview with John Rogers Jr., the CEO of Ariel Investments. He tells a fascinating story, including his dad, who is a Tuskegee Airman, in this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.